0: Hey, Scuttle Buddies, how's it going? This week's show is a direct lift from last week's Scarif Live interview with author and podcaster Stephen Kent. His book, entitled How the Force Can Save the World, was a fascinating topic for myself and the rest of the Scarif crew. We were joined by Shanti as usual, but also Brad came back to chat about how politics and Star Wars kind of go hand in hand at least in the vein of helping to create dialogues between Empire and Rebel, Jedi and Sith, or maybe Democrat and Republican, I don't know. But what does Star Wars offer when it comes to communicating across those imaginary aisles? We also took a chunk out of how we relate to our shadow self. Like Yoda's journey in the final season of The Clone Wars, his exploration of exploring his shadow self, and being able to control those tendencies, but coming to a balance between the two. It's something that perplexed Stephen as he spoke to us about the state of politics, compromise, and Star Wars fandom in general. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode, How the Force Can Save the World. Look for Stephen Kent's book at your favorite bookseller and on Amazon, and stay tuned for the end. A special message from Stephen on how to access a bonus episode of his podcast, Beltway Banthas. Let's get this show started, shall we? Because it's always sunny on Scarif. Hit it, boys.
1: I'm Stephen Kent, the author of How the Force Can Fix the World, Lessons on Life, Liberty, and Happiness from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, and you're listening to Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast.
0: We'll be right back after this.
1: Oh is now the ultimate power in the universe going
0: live let's see what we got here you know uh stream has changed so much oh we got 97 bravo in the chat uh thank you for coming by uh it's a very busy night for the red five network we've got uh a whole bunch of people going live um i want to make sure hold on a second here there's a lot of buttons to press here at the Red 5 Network.
1: This podcast is part of
2: the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com.
0: Absolutely. We want to welcome Brad. What are you doing, man? What's happening? Hi.
2: Well, you told me there's politics involved tonight, and I had to be here. Uh, I'm politics the, uh, and
0: Star Wars.
2: Yeah, the uh, my witness protection program here. <laughs> I don't mind the women's clothing behind me. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, I'm glad you sent me the invite for this one, and I'm very stoked to be here. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing good, brother. I am down in sunny. Well, it was sunny today. I guess it's moony now uh fort myers florida oh nice visiting my uh my family down here my parents um and my sister and nephew are down here and uh you know uh it's not often the the navy gives me a few days off uh so when i had the opportunity to take a few days i did so uh and got my butt down here and uh, i'm glad i did having a great time down here uh always good to see family uh, we got we got a red five family and of course we have to or other families we got to think about as well. Um but uh Absolutely. I'm glad to uh be on here with you tonight, especially well, this conversation.
0: absolutely. Tonight. So welcome home obviously. Uh you know, you are always welcome here when you are uh available to do so, but um we have a, a really special guest tonight and uh he's an author and a uh, fellow podcaster as well. Um okay. And I want to put up the graphic and I want to bring him in because uh, we've got uh, quite a a night. Oh, there you go. I knew I sent her the link. What's up, Shanti? Now. Wait a
2: second. Wait a
1: second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a Uh second.
2: uh I have YouTube open.
1: (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) So um, it's funny because, you know, a lot of times, you know, we follow these accounts. We listen to the podcast. we, We start talking to people. And we don't realize, like, sometimes, like, some people are connected. Like, somebody reached out to me and asked me if, if I was the guy from Scare Podcast. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and we've, we've been interacting on Twitter for a long time. And, you know, it, it's been months since he asked me that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. He goes, oh, okay, that's cool. No, no wonder you seem familiar. So it's like we have our, our podcast persona, which is part of the, the, mm-hmm. the podcast ca- ca- accounts, and then we've got our like personal ones, which you know people don't make a lot of connections to, and and I feel the same way with with Stephen, uh, our our guest tonight. Um, you know, I have listened to Beltway Banthas for for a while. I think I, I found them like a year and a half ago and from time to time i listen to the podcast but then when you know i see the book and i see he he's an author and i see this and i and i, I, I still didn't make the connection And then i go into it and i'm like i recognize his face from the graphic of the podcast and i'm like oh so i'm making I'm, I'm you know doing the math and i'm like okay i i get it now but it's it's pretty awesome to kind of meet all these people but then also kind of Get to know them on the podcast, but also get to know them like on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, and tonight's going to be awesome because uh, I don't. It's, I'm very excited. You talked about term papers uh, on my notes. <laughs> I did. I did write. Did. I did. I did some extensive research. I read. Uh, you know, Stephen's got uh, the ability to download the first chapter of the book. I read the the first part of the book, and and obviously it's Star Wars. Um, and Brad, free, it's politics.
2: A free download.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I think so unless i hacked it some way but we'll ask Stephen when written, it comes by the
2: way Ro, your notes are beautifully <laughs> written hey so, right. so say i you're talking about beltway banthas and and uh i've i've been listening to them for a while i think probably since like 2018 maybe 17. wow <clears throat> but uh i mean and a lot of the way that uh steven ran that show i you know i got a lot of tips and tricks uh, of course, you know you and I just do this whole thing live, and, and Chauncey, we just do this thing live. Uh, but they had a very good format. They it has a very good format of, you know, and kind of what you what we do here on the Butt, You know, the whole your side, my side, and you know, finding the the common ground in the middle. And then uh, so when uh, you said, hey, we're trying to do something this week, and it's Stephen Kent, I'm like Beltway Bantha, Stephen. Like, yeah, I'm like well, let's do this. So uh, I'm with you. I'm really excited for the conversation
0: tonight well let's uh let's bring him in man let's uh start talking yeah. star wars and politics and uh, we're gonna find out tonight how the force can save the world and maybe the galaxy because I think the galaxy needs a little saving too uh, mm-hmm. but uh, let's bring him in. Here he is, Stephen. Oh. How's it Hello going? There, Hello there. Y'all are y'all are <laughs> making me blush over here, and you to throw me on camera. And, not at all. Wow. Not at all. Thank you very much for making yourself available uh, and uh, coming on the show, talking about the book, talking about the force, talking about Star Wars. It's going to be a yes, lot of fun. So. We have uh, a lot of people in the chat. Uh, really excited to kind of hear uh, a little bit about uh, your philosophy. And uh, we got uh, we got some topics going. But um, awesome, awesome night.
2: Uh, uh, did That's... you get promoted since the last time we talked? Are you a grand admiral?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am currently in charge of the Death Star Project. And uh, it will be completed on schedule.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've, I've told Roe and, and Shanti many times,
1: uh, if people want
2: to know how politics and the military work, or Politics in the military work, uh, you know. Watch Rogue One and all that infighting with the desk. Yeah. Of-
1: the yeah. project managers versus the the politicians yeah. who want to take the credit. That's what it's all about, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll Spent I'll three months. The ship cursed,
2: but- that was true.
1: <laughs> no, it's a it's a wonderful movie for understanding bureaucracy and power and sort of the the way that operators like Krennic and Tarkin might interact with each other. And I. Mm-hmm. I my favorite Star Wars book to date has been Rogue One Catalyst, oh. which really tees up that entire relationship that they have and adds depth to Krennic's political ambitions. And then you just see it all unravel in Rogue One in a, in a really beautiful way. So high, high rec- reading recommendation.
0: I want to remind folks um, that, uh, you know, Star Wars, George had called it, at least for the re-release in the early 90s, he called it A New Hope. And recently, people are reminding us that Star Wars has always been about hope, light, uh, looking outwards more so than inwards. And in a recent interview on Disney+, Plus, Master Jedi Dave Filoni has said that when you, uh, when you leave a Star Wars, you should leave feeling hopeful. Um, and and that message seems to be a big deal in Star Wars all across the platform. Um, what do you think about that message? And do you think that uh, that sometimes we get lost in the minutia and overthink things? or do do we need to go kind of back to that that ideology of just being hopeful?
1: Yeah. well, I think there's there's no question that hope is one of the underpinning principles of Star Wars there's no there's no other way to explain it than besides the fact that it comes up again and again and again throughout all the trilogies and i think the the number one beacon of the the virtue of hope in Star Wars is is consistently painted as as Leia you know whether it's the the line of the final moments of Rogue One to her entire disposition in A New Hope and how she handles the destruction of her home planet of Alderaan and then braces herself for the the final run of the rebellion against the Death Star. Like the rebellion is fueled by hope, Leia is fueled by hope. And I ended up writing one of the chapters of my book uh, just about the quote that we get in The Last Jedi from Admiral Holdo about what leia would say i guess it's admiral holdo and poe are talking about leia's wisdom on hope and you know the line is uh is something along the lines of um you know if you only hope is like the sun if you only believe in it when you can see it you'll never make it through the night and i don't think anything can describe star wars as as powerfully as that because you're always dealing with these insurmountable odds these huge villains and these huge and evil empires and the the spark of possibility that you might win is always so small and there's only one way to get through that and that is to hope and believe that it can actually be done rather than cave into nihilism and as a political concern one of my biggest societal beefs right now is that we've got like this huge culture of nihilism uh, brewing all across our society that's I think making our politics really dour
0: yeah. And I think that's probably one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that Star Wars has survived so long uh, throughout the decades is it, it, it does seem like it's a beacon of hope. It's, uh, you know, George has said it. Uh, the reason he uh, created this 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 galaxy from a far far away is is you know we were the country was going through some some major BS uh, during that time in the 70s we had you know civil rights movement we had uh, Nixon we had Watergate we had Vietnam so
1: you know young people needed some some hope.
0: And yeah, here we and are, If I
1: may interject, like real, like in all those things, like even some of those things you described are good things like the civil rights movement. But what, right, they, right, right. what they embody are, are chaos. Right. They embody things coming apart. And when people sort of look uh, around the country and they see the way that things have always been being disrupted, that is when people's like totalitarian instincts kick in, right? The civil rights movement is changing uh, enfranchisement across the country, and then you know you have a certain swath of voters that go off in the direction of Nixon, you know, the law and order guy to sort of reestablish some sort of equilibrium in society. Every Star Wars trilogy like builds on this, the prequel trilogy as well. Time of chaos and war against a faceless enemy, and then the, the people who take advantage of chaos. And we were supposed to learn about Palpatine and be warned about George Bush and all that stuff. <laughs> but you're supposed to be able to extrapolate that lesson out beyond, of course, George Bush's administration to anyone else who might be trying to seize chaos in those moments. And man, the First Order is no different in the new trilogy. It just is, it's cyclical.
0: You mentioned George Bush, and your Astromech uh, behind you got a little uh, wigged, wigged out.
1: <laughs> Sad sound. We, we we've, we've
2: talked about that uh, a few times. You know the the prequels as much crap as they get. Um, like if you want a blueprint uh, for how you create a fascist regime, uh, it literally spells it out. You know you you have uh, you have the chaos that you you talk about. You have some crisis that you. That you uh, that, that you talked about, and there's always somebody there to take advantage of, of a good crisis. And literally, George lays it out how you could go from you know fear, but you know with the best intentions, to the worst possible scenario.
0: We have a comment from 97 Bravo: Never let a good crisis go to waste.
1: <laughs> no, no, never. Um, but clever, oh, clever political operators know that those are the moments to uh, to try and gain as much power as possible. I think mm-hmm. we're in a we're in a moment. I don't want to go off the deep end here too soon. But, you know, we're in a, another similar moment in society and, and dealing with our politics is, you know, when you've got a, a viral pandemic ravaging what we consider to be normal. Right. Um, there are always going to be people screaming for the, the barriers of normalcy and process and law to be torn down so that a solution can be, can be put together so that somebody can fix things. Uh, and you know you don't even you just don't have to look further than countries like Australia, uh, where you can deal with coronavirus. You just kind of have to be totalitarian about it. <laughs> uh, there, there are solutions. There are just solutions that are outside of our political norms. And uh, the thing about political norms is, once you break them, you don't get them back. And uh, unfortunate for the Republic, they uh, they learned that themselves. So. Hmm.
0: So let's um, go back into uh, Star Wars a little bit. You know, I always talk about the duality of personality, which I find that fascinating. And when we have fans, you know, uh, I mentioned us versus them. um, I think that's why I really... Love uh, Darth Vader for some reason. First main character to be seen uh, yep. in the film. Uh, uh, Jaw dropping uh, to a seven-year-old in the darkened theater. Obviously, there's a lot of duality in Star Wars: the light, the dark, the color uh, uh, of the stormtroopers and Vader. Those extremes that George used to kind of utilize uh, those themes that he was trying to portray in the films. But even the current themes, like the rule of two, and this pesky force dyad that people are talking about. <laughs> Um, you know, George was a student of the humanities, anthropology and religion, and we see that in his films. But the duality in in geek culture as we know it is an interesting one. What does that say about our world? And do you think people catch those nuances?
1: Well, I think people do. I think humble people understand that they've got a dark side. Um, you know, every one of us have a part of us that we either don't like or we suppress or we save for very specific and trusted people and then we have another side of ourselves that we present to the public, our family, uh, maybe certain ones of our friends. Um, I think we all understand that we've got either a mix of just sort of like split personalities or a dark passenger. one of my concerns, uh, and I, I I'll always kind of go back to the book, because I'm just in full book promo mode for how the force can fix the world is like, we, we have this cultural sort of fever going on right now around, you know, this this fear of the thing called cancel culture, right? Like the, the fear of, you know, people coming after you in like angry mob form and, and trying to run you out of polite society or off the Internet um, in mob form. And. One of the things that I, I trace like from Star Wars to that is that I think our culture has really gotten away from recognizing the duality of the human experience. And we're sort of in this puritanical fit uh, that we want people to be neat and tidy. We want people to like say the right words and, and stay in line at all times because we've just kind of grown up, I think at least in the past 10, 15 years, in this world, it's like Instagram, right? Where you put a filter on everything. Like everything is sort of made up and polished and shined for what we present to people online. I think it's it's can't be understated how much it has changed our culture and also how we see ourselves. Where I don't think that we are currently able as a people to grapple with our own darkness and then recognize it in other people and then practice grace (laughs) because when we know we have darkness we extend grace to other people when they you know lose control of their own Um, that's the beautiful thing about Star Wars is everybody is supposed to see I could be Darth Vader if I'm not careful
0: what have I done
2: You're fulfilling your destiny, Anakin. Become my apprentice. Learn to use the dark side of the Force. I will do whatever you ask. Good.
0: Yeah, it it seems that that duality is uh is kind of embedded in us and, and I I think it is, you know, we talked about uh what is the um psychology phrase, you know, the id and the ego and 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 mm-hmm. the dark side and the light side. Um, but you know, your your website and you just mentioned humility um which is is also a very powerful force into a in of itself. Um you know obviously fans we're, we're not unfamiliar with polarization um from the get-go but we see uh that separation kind of getting stronger i don't know you know the uh, I, before we went on the air we mentioned obviously uh fans getting polarized and and uh you know especially after the last jedi and you know i like the last jedi you hate it you, you're wrong you're an idiot but you know the,
2: the i knew you liked it what was that i knew you liked it it's time for
0: to end we're digging our flags in and we we there's no sign of like softening up like yeah. where, where do we get know, to a point where we say all right fine i might not like that movie but you do and that's okay there just doesn't seem to be any middle middle ground
2: hey, hey Ro, Ro, can i ask a follow-up question to that too or maybe absolutely uh Stephen, why is it okay to say you hate episode two but it's not okay to say you hate the last guy.
1: I mean, it's always okay. It's always okay to say you hate this or that. I mean, I, I just, I don't understand why people are so <laughs> sensitive uh, to people not liking the thing that they like. I I guess it's just like, it's the libertarian attitude in me. Uh, and I think my my libertarian politics stem from a, a general reluctance to view things as sacred. Um, you know, I think a lot of what our politics um, is defined by is, is what level of, not pearl clutching uh, sensibilities does a person have, but like what things do you view in life and in the universe as sacred? And what things do you view as completely up for debate? Um, and and sort of, you know, being, you know, shit on, right? Like how how flexible are you? and? part of my libertarian vibe is just that I, I really don't believe in many sacred things that are above being challenged. Um, It just happens to be that I, you know, I, I don't like episode two. Like that's what I always say. It's always been the bottom of the barrel for me uh, until episode nine. And that's a whole nother story, which I guess we could get into Um, episode, episode two got its first promotion in well over a decade by the rise of skywalkers but you know it just i all star wars to me i like all star wars movies there's never been one that i hate it's just varying degrees Mm -hmm. of how much i like or love them
0: you've been on countless shows and talked about you know all sorts of things but what are some of the things that really give you joy when you talk about it you know there's a sense of you know something that runs through your blood, but what is it that you like to really sink your teeth in when you're talking to, uh, to you know, other other podcasts or other TV shows? What what do you, what brings a smile to your face?
1: I mean, children—the way that children la- relate to Star Wars—I think is is a big one for me. I think one of the last Star Wars op eds I wrote for the Washington Examiner was my reaction to episode nine, which was, which was a very negative reaction. Uh, but it was a call for people in star Wars fandom and beyond to let their children carry the torch of society, of, of their families, of, of their fandoms of like loving star Wars and to, to ask young kids like what do you think of what we just saw in the theater screen before you talk and i i think for me like that is the the number one thing i always come back to and george talks about this all the time he doesn't like say like it's a kids movie but he he always would emphasize that star wars is about the next generation and the the youthful imagination and i just i worry that a lot of the star wars fan experience and we saw this with the prequels, right? I was a prequel kid, and I had to deal with Gen Xers like losing their minds over Episode One and Episode Two, and you know it hurt my feelings growing up. But like, it, you know, it's not about you anymore, guys. It's it's about it's about these kids, and uh, I think people rediscover their their fandom, and they they feel reinvigorated uh, by future generations taking up that torch. It's it's Yoda saying saying to the Skywalkers, you know, um, pass on what you have learned. Uh, That's what it's all about.
2: bro. You gonna let me talk some politics here. Go for it. <laughs> let them <laughs> loose.
1: <do> <laughs> let, let <him> loose. <laughs> so,
2: uh, you know, we were talking before the show, you know, uh, I always love the, the concept of beltway Banthas. And that was one of the first star Wars podcasts that I got into, um, was listening to, to you guys on the beltway Banthas. I loved your format on there. Um, and I love discussing different sides of, of an issue. Um, but, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Mm-hmm. You know, as a libertarian, and this is this is where we get the bond now. Um, I think there are a lot of uh, libertarian principles uh, in Star Wars uh, as yeah. a juxtaposition to the totalitarianism that, that we saw, uh, especially in the original trilogy. Uh, you know, just in general, you know, how do you think politics and, and Star Wars mix? And then uh, if you want, maybe uh, yeah. you can give any examples of, you know, uh, how you see the libertarian <clears throat> um, yeah i think flavor. i think
1: it's it's basically this and and i'm really i'm really glad for the question and i know you've you follow beltway banthas for a long time brad and i, I feel like at some points like we've like twitter feuded about stuff together i'm trying i don't i don't have a great memory right? yeah you, you, i don't have a uh,
2: so yeah,
1: i don't have a great memory so and i'm just man, like i feel like okay. there was brad's got receipts shot. brad's yeah, got yeah. receipts <laughs> <laughs> he's got
2: a log they're blackmailed later uh, I it, it's I Twitter feuded with everybody. I know. Possible. Um, so I was I was just to trying
1: to make sure that I was correct. Um, that doesn't matter at all. I was just I was just curious because like my politics have changed. I think in in the past couple of years, um, I feel like I've I've learned a lot about how I truly feel about things, and they might change again in five five more years. But the politics of Star Wars are this, and this is what I get frustrated by with the fan discourse is that everybody wants to use the opinions of George Lucas on real world politics as a cudgel against people that they don't agree with. Well, George Lucas was a 1970s, you know, kind of Democrat liberal type, very like cookie cutter, anti-corporatist liberal. Um, you know, therefore these movies are about how Republicans are bad. Uh, if you like really think that about Star Wars, that like it is a an analog on the two party system in the United States, you are out of your mind. <laughs> it, is a, it is a movie about power versus the powerless. It is a movie about, or series about control and whether or not there are, there's danger to varying degrees of exerting control over others. Um, It is a, a movie purely about whether or not you are willing to embrace kind of live and let live and and unpredictability or authoritarian attitudes. I think all of you are probably familiar with left to right spectrum, but then you also might see the quad, right? So it's left to right, conservative, liberal, and then there's up and down on the quad, um, libertarian and authoritarian. Mm -hmm. And the libertarian is not meant to be lower or uppercase l like you know i'm part of the libertarian party 100%. team Por- team porcupine and legalizing sex work uh it's it's purely are you a person who is willing to let things just be a little bit unorganized right. chaotic at times or are you a person who like anakin says when people aren't agreeing well then they should be made to um that's what Star Wars is about, and and people just want to write themselves a check where it doesn't apply to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, so that's that's my top line view of it. Yeah,
2: Very- Don't forget <laughs> it's
1: just a movie. <laughs>
2: At the end of the day, I'm sorry. But you know
0: what's funny that it, it happens not only with George Lucas, but you know mm-hmm. recently people are you know taking. You know some old Pablo Hidalgo quotes and saying, "Well, you said this, so that means that the whole thing is this."
1: Yeah. So it's. Cares, I mean, they, they
0: they do they do that all the
1: time. Why is everything so black and white? Yeah, and no, you know, Stand. who cares what this like the makers say? Right. This is say, wrong. You know? It's not about that. There's no such thing. Yeah, and and it's I think sometimes people talk about like you know sometimes artists don't even like understand like the art that they make until you know they they hear people read it back to them and be like well i'm pretty sure you were t- you were saying this and they're like well i meant to say this but you know i guess it just didn't come across too well you know like the the whole plot of the the separatist movement right like george used to talk a whole lot about uh, and rightfully so um, you know corporatism in in the United States, and uh, and there was a lot of messages and you know sort of ham-handed name-dropping going on in the prequels about um, different people in the in the corrupt republic. The Trade Federation meant to be certain politicians in Congress, um, and the whole idea of the Trade Federation and the Banking Clan having seats in the Republic was supposed to say something to us about the danger of corporations. But at the same time, like the more you read about the separatist movement. I think the more a person can generally sympathize (laughs) with the fact that the Republic was in fact awful, and even though the separatist movement was sort of this vehicle for corporations to evade taxes and for the Sith to try to unravel the Republic, people didn't have faith in the system. That's why they were, they were joining this cause. That's why Cassian Andor and his family were separatists. It's why all these like normal worlds joined that movement, not because they were corporate shills, but because the Republic was a joke.
2: Hey, hey Stephen, I just, I just thought of a, of a bumper sticker and you and I can split the profits on this. Okay. <laughs> Taxation okay. of trade routes is theft. Is theft? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, it is. <laughs> well, I'm I'm
0: writing it down. That's going to be our next T-shirt.
2: All right, Ro. We'll cut you into Shanti, We'll cut you into. You're here for the <laughs> conversation. We'll, we'll split it. What What do you think about you know? You know, you sort of alluded to it. Folks thinking like, um, you know, where are you with how much Star Wars should? include real world issues or should it be a complete escape from real world issues
1: yeah i mean i think real world issues when they are the most potent are just purely dealing with things that are are universal and and relatively timeless Um, let's take trade routes for example right like everybody made fun of it uh but there is something timeless and important that every man woman and child should understand about trade policy and like i was just teaching i I homeschool my daughter we were talking just the other week uh about trade routes in the ancient world and how the trading of spice and not star wars spice but the trade of spices (laughs) in the ancient world um, spread wealth and prosperity and brought peace between nations that would have previously been warring with each other had they not been trading and then we were talking about that and i was like hey by the way you've seen me talking on the news when i do tv hits and stuff about all this worry that China might invade Taiwan. One of the reasons that we think China might at least be hesitant to invade Taiwan is because of the microchip distribution that would be highly disrupted if Taiwan were to be sort of put out of business for a while when China (laughs) invades that country. And the rest of the world would be very upset if Taiwan were to be invaded, not because they like Taiwan and for any particular reason, but because of the microchips that come out of that country. Um, It's a huge deal. Trade and war are are going hand in hand. Like, those things are great to put into Star Wars. It helps people understand the way that the world really works. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, a good example that could have been done in the new movies. But I think everybody knows examples of, like, things in, in politics and movies where it's, like, really ham-handed. Or, like, they're winking and nodding at, like, a movement that's in the news right now. Yeah. And it confines the movie to the moment rather than to history itself. And I think that those are areas where politics in, in movies can go really wrong and come across as shallow. I, I personally think the sequel trilogy was devoid of politics in a way that was boring. Um, and I wish they had gone heavier on it. Like all Rhodian lives matter. Right. Like, and oh, okay. So actually, that, that kind of sparks um, one of the things that, that got debated in the solo movie. So Black Lives Matter is kind of at, at, not at its peak, but it's, it's gotten a lot bigger at the time Solo comes out. Um, and then there was the, the arc of the abolitionist droid, right? Um, uh, L3, was that it? Correct. Uh, the L3 droid, Lando's droid. And there were two things that went on in that movie. Uh, one, Lando was clearly sexually into this droid. <laughs> Uh, and so the, the actors and the, the crew started talking about how he was pansexual or or whatever. And and that, I think, to a lot of people came across as, like, really playing to this Twitter energy, right, around identity politics. And I, I think Lando is honestly just, like, a perfect blank slate for, a, you know, I'll fuck whatever moves kind of personality. Like, <laughs> if you were going to attach that to anybody, it would be Lando. But then there was, I remember Ben Shapiro and the Daily Wire lost their mind at an abolitionist droid. There were like all these articles about the SJW droid in the solo movie and how it was like evidence of far left conspiracy taking over Star Wars. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like we're supposed to look at that and say that we've never not known that there were abolitionists in the droid world in star wars we've known this Mm -hmm. forever that droids were deprived of their free will many ways forced into servitude with restraining bolts and that they want to be free couldn't go Um, into cantinas yeah like we've always known this and it was this weird thing where like conservative reactionaries were seizing on this droid being sort of like a fist pumping freedom droid and being like You know, it's been co-opted by the left. I'm going, this is this is clearly you conflating two things that you think are connected. Let me ask you something. It's kind of a quick little
0: follow up on that. You know, obviously, uh, you know, for us that that grew up watching Star Wars originally, you know, uh, I was seven years old when I saw it in the theater. Those kind of things as a seven year old, you don't really catch you don't really catch the, uh, you know, we don't serve their kind, you know, all that stuff. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not, it's not something that us as adults, you know, growing up, you know, in the seventies, uh, during, you know, the civil rights movement and things like that, that you remember all that stuff that you, you know, as adults, now we can make that connection, but back then you couldn't. And, uh, you know, we see a lot of, Brand new fans come into the franchise and say, welcome to Star Wars. But do you think that sometimes because it's something new and shiny, they don't really take a look at the old to see what came before? Or is it something that is just, you know, I just really don't understand how Star Wars works. So I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to conflate something.
1: Right. Yeah. I wanna I I wanna defer to Chantal or uh, or Brad and, and kinda of see what y'all think and then I'd I'd love to weigh in. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure they have thoughts. Look at uh, them.
2: <laughs> I have all the thoughts.
1: I think people are seriously reaching. And I personally, as someone who loves movies and uses them as for escapism, I never delve mm-hmm. that deeply and look that deeply into that Star Wars is this big political thing. I'm not into politicizing anything, honestly. Yeah. In fact, I hate politics altogether. To tell you the truth, so this conversation may not be my bad. I hope this is not a bummer for you.
2: (laughs) This this interview may not be my bad. We are
1: we are fixing the world right now. Yeah, absolutely.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I wish Star Wars could fix the world, but
1: the uh, (laughs) the publisher the publisher and everybody apart the book was originally going to be called how the force can fix America. And they were yeah. like, how about, how about we think <laughs> bigger? And they're yeah. like, what about the it's world? And I was like, what about the world? I yeah. don't know. That seems like a big task. So, uh,
2: so two points. Uh, one, people really have selective memory. They, they want to know they don't care about, you know, what suits them in any sort of argument. Mm-hmm. And two, if you guys have read the bonus material, you would know that Wooer was part of the, in the clone wars and he fought against droids in the clone wars. And that's why he was against them coming into his cantina. Did you guys not read the bonus material?
1: <laughs> People, can't uh, read.
2: And don't read that book. It was really bad, but anyway. Uh, yeah. And
1: I, you know, I think, I don't know. I, I think with like the politicization of stuff, I, I think everyone on this call would agree. Like politics is, is just part of life. Like when you walk out your front door and your sidewalk is not properly cared for and, you know, and it, like it needs to be repaved, like that's a, that's a problem with local politics, right? Like this is all part of the way that we live. But there's just like a huge difference between sloganeering and context and hitting people over the head with dialogue and things that characters might say to one another, versus painting a picture of a world that maybe you do or don't want to live in. Like, all you have to do to, to know that you should maybe be a little bit concerned about corporate control of people's daily lives is watch the first five minutes of Ready Player One where everybody is living in these, you know, shack, stack houses playing VR video games to survive and enjoy their daily lives the movie just takes place in a political context that makes your skin crawl. But then if they were to do that and they were to very specifically tell you who the bad guys are and how you need to vote when you leave the movie theater, that's like a totally different thing. And it polarizes people and makes people feel defensive. And Star Wars I think has always done a really good job of painting a picture of a world that you may or may not want to live in, and then sending you off to to live as you will. Um, I I think that one of the biggest temptations of movie writers today is that they have to practice activism all the time, or they are not living up to their cause. Uh, And you see this a lot with comic books. Um, In particular, when the way people are written these days. Um, So I think that this is an area where Star Wars has practiced restraint. I really do believe that Star Wars has been restrained here um, and and pretty disciplined, but not everyone agrees.
0: (laughs) Hey, what's up, podcast family? Roe here. Just wanted to give our patrons a heartfelt thank you. Wonderful folks who have found it in their hearts to support the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. We're super lucky to have you, folks like Amanda, Jedi Caligula 89 Joey Rosales, the Salty Crew, Alex and Matt, super fan of many of the pods on the Red 5 Network backyard, TARDIS, Nicholas Schaefer, what's up Nick? Chad at Hyperspace and Holocrons, Jay from Florida, and our newest patron, Frank V, big thanks and a returning patron in the Executor tier, 97 Bravo, huge respect my friend, we thank you all for your support. And if you want to become more involved in the Scarif Scuttlebutt community and feel like becoming a patron, head over to patreon.com slash Scarif Scuttlebutt. Remember, we can't have the scuttle without the butt. And don't forget, it's always sunny on Scarif with patrons
2: like you. We've, We've alluded to your book a few times. Uh, and uh, obviously, you've been podcasting for quite a while. You've your uh, your uh, writing uh, repertoire is uh, fairly massive these days. But how did you, uh, you know, how did you come up with the the idea that I'm going to write a book about Star Wars and, and put it out there? How did that come to be?
1: Well, you know, the Beltway Bantha's podcast ran, has run for about four and a half years and in several different iterations with different co-hosts, but it was always A podcast dedicated to trying to bridge divides between people who don't see the world the same way, you know, left, right, you know, whatever, Republican, Democrat, getting people who are different together, who don't view the world the same way and saying, well, we both view Star Wars the same way. So what are we missing here? What is what is a thing that maybe we don't properly understand about each other? That we both understand about star wars that that we could actually come together on and that's what that podcast was all about and you know it, it took me to interviewing people from the likes of glenn beck to van jones you know cnn uh, and obama administration official right and hearing from them the same things that they love about star wars and they want to see to be better in the world uh, but then of course they're, they're just very different people uh and That was what that book was generally inspired by, which was clearly Star Wars means so much to so many different people, no matter who they are or what they believe. So how can we take some of what's in Star Wars into a very polarized world and help people try to see past allegiances and political polarization and maybe just see things through the lens of Star Wars, which really, I think if you're seeing things through the lens of Star Wars, you're seeing things through the lens of, of child, which is a humble worldview, an open worldview. I think the painful part of where this book came from is that, and I don't talk about this often, and I, I'm not going to go into detail, but my last relationship with my my last co-host on, on Beltway Bantha is my, my progressive co-host uh, fell apart. And I don't still to this day know why. Um, We don't talk and haven't talked now for two years. But we were best friends. And we had this podcast together that was all about bridging divides. And something switched like almost overnight. uh, And it was over. And the friendship was over. The collaboration on the podcast was over. And it was about politics. Uh, I think it was about me being a conservative writer and political commentator, and that being um, uh, not good for that person's left-leaning reputation on Twitter. And I think it, it made it hard for that person to want to associate with me just because their friends wouldn't like it. Um, hmm. And that broke my heart. <laughs> it really broke my heart. I canceled the podcast for six months uh, because I just didn't think I could do it anymore. And then I still had the outline of the book written and I picked it up and like all of that pain and losing my best friend and feeling really alone. And I was like, I'm going to write this book whether or not my relationship with a political opposite worked out or not. Um, And I almost quit the book project because I felt like a fraud. Cause I was like, I can't tell people that the force can fix their political relationships when mine fell apart with my podcast co-host, but I still believe it. I really do. I think, I think star Wars means what it means. And if you're listening uh, and the, and you really take it to heart, you can't look away from its, its values that would bring people together.
2: I, I will tell you, and uh, that, that hurts hearing, uh, you know, and that's, you know, that's and, and like row, like we were talking about it uh, before the show. That's, that's why we picked up this podcast. And, that is painful to hear because I was listening back back then with the two of you on it. <clears throat> and it was amazing because you were clearly on opposite sides of this imaginary aisle that we've created for ourselves. But you made it work. and you you, you know, voice opinion, uh, 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 a respectful counterposition to that and it was it, it, and you wrapped it up at the end of the show. Yeah. What happened there is such a mic- microcosm for what is going on in our world right now where we're letting these things where we whether it be friends or family we're letting these political issues tear us apart when you know otherwise you know p- there have been families that haven't spoken since the last election or the mm-hmm. election before that. Because they're letting these things yeah. popularize them to such an extent. So, uh, thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that. Wow. Um, and there, there's, there's a lot to be learned from that. So, we, we appreciate that greatly.
0: know you mentioned the word humility uh, a couple of times already and uh, going into the research of your book um, what are some of the things that you found out about the force and uh, any other items that you might want to share with us regarding humility is that uh, is humility part of how the force can fix the world
1: oh it it definitely is it is it is chapter one of the book and one of the people that I wanted to source for the book for an idea about what would be a really interesting story from Star Wars to tell was a podcaster who I actually have not gotten along with in many online forums uh, for a long time, but I, I always enjoyed his podcast, Full of Sith, Brian Young. Um, Brian Young is a, is a pretty, I think, far left guy uh, and, and very pugnaciously so but he's also like this known to be like this huge Jar Jar apologist he like he loves Jar Jar Banks uh, is a really big stan of of episode 1 and we know I, a few we know a few of those yeah and I'm, i i personally like i love episode 1 and i'm very defensive um, of Jar Jar in the sense that i think people go too far but i reached out to Brian because i remember him talking on a panel once about how Padme was an amazing example of leadership in episode one. And I reached out to Brian and I was like, hey, like I know we haven't like agreed on much stuff in the past, but I remember you saying this thing about about Padme, I'm working on this chapter on humility and how it could make our politics better in a world where social media algorithms are basically designed to tell us that we're right all the time and to make sure that we only hear from people who <laughs> agree with us and will retweet us at all times so that we always feel like we've been validated. What was the lesson of Padman? And he told me a little bit about it. And I was just really, really blown away when I researched the depth of the divide between the Naboo and the Gungans, basically what tore these two people apart. I, I mean, it's very, it's very, I think, analogous right, to European settlers and, and Native Americans. It's, it's kind of the same exact situation that pushed the Gungans underneath the waters of Naboo. They hate each other and they distrust each other's intentions. And when Padme goes to Boss Nass and takes a knee before him, And and says, like, you know, we humble ourselves before you. uh, We we beg you, you know, for your help. I'm I'm bungling the quotes there, but you all remember what she says in in that moment. um, That they need the Gungans' help here.
0: Although we do not always agree, Your Honor, our two great societies have always lived in peace. The Trade Federation has destroyed all that we have worked so hard to build. If we do not act quickly, all will be lost forever. I ask you to help us. No, I beg
1: you to help us.
0: We are your humble servants.
1: Mm -hmm. Our fate Mm -hmm. is in your hands.
2: You are not and you are greater than the Gungans. Be <laughs> shall like it Maybe we are uh, being friends. <laughs>
1: That's what it's all about. It wasn't about anything more than that they thought the Naboo were they thought themselves to be better than them they thought the naboo to be snobs that their noses were up at the gungans it wasn't about anything more than respect and padme as a 14 year old let's say a child she understood this and i ended up writing this entire chapter about child monarchs (laughs) and children in political leadership and basically just how they're more open Our children don't come to the world with biases and contempt and suspicion. They come to the world with openness, a little bit of naivete, just a little bit, but a general openness. And I just was really blown away when I rewatched episode one and was like, holy cow, the entire situation on Naboo was solved by one side of that divide, realizing that the other did not hold, hold them in contempt. That's what it's all about. Do you think that you're better than other people? And do your opponents think that you think you're better than them? If you can get rid of that vibe, I think your politics can really begin to heal and your relationships can too. Ego is a dangerous thing. It is, it is. And our entire world is geared right now towards inflating ego. And Mm -hmm. I'm really concerned about it. I'm a free market guy. Um, I am all about capitalism and letting the corporations create great products for us. But I'll tell you, I've never questioned my beliefs more than when it comes to two things. Uh, uh, Capitalism in media, right? So like media being all about profit Uh, and serving certain key audiences, right? So having conservative news and far-left news and middle-of-the-road news, segmenting all of it off. Uh, And then also, you know, again, like the social platforms that we've built where we can live in bubbles and only hear from people who are like us. Facebook used to not even be that way. Like when we used to be on Facebook, it was a chronological timeline if you you saw what you saw based on when you got on and then they made this jump around 2011 to an algorithmic timeline and it changes everything. It changes everything about our experience on Facebook. Um, and I I don't like it at all. Um, there's a good question from, uh, from Amy in the chat. It says, do you address any correlations between emotional intelligence in Star Wars and the current political climate? Uh, Mm -hmm. I do, actually. I think that that is part of the the humility chapter. Um, There's a study that was done, and I, I, I can't cite it right now, but if you pick up How the Force Can Fix the World, it's in chapter one that was done at Duke University that measured emotional intelligence in people of different political persuasions. Um, and basically, what they found is that the hard, more hardline opinions that people had about political issues and the deeper their partisan affiliation was, the lower they scored on emotional intelligence <laughs> on a bunch <laughs> of different tests. And then you could apply that to, like, does Donald Trump deserve to be impeached or, or is he innocent and all that stuff? And basically, people's emotional intelligence was completely compromised by partisan affiliation. And, uh, and so I ended up taking that and then looking at how children view the world, which, again, like Naboo, is run mostly by children. Every monarch is a child, and they have an advisory council who helps them understand politics and the way the world works. But children, at the end of the day, call the shots on Naboo, and uh, it's one of the most beautiful places in the galaxy. <laughs> and I, I think it's no yeah. coincidence.
0: And, uh, you know, you mentioned... Uh... King Tutankhamen, who was uh, nine years old, I think, when he, (laughs) uh, so good correlation to real world uh, politics there.
1: Oh, several. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't want, we don't want child monarchs connected (laughs) to the bloodline, right? Like that was a, that was a bad time for everybody, but there's a lot to be learned from, from what children bring to politics. Um, And I, I try to listen to my daughter and the way she receives things when we watch the news together, because I I think she's looking at it with with fresh and untainted eyes. Um, I'm a pretty loving and open guy, but I've still got some seeds of anger and hate in me that I have to deal with every single day. Um, And when you listen to children, uh, you're getting a view of it that while it might be a little bit naive at times, um, is free of that. And I think that's what makes it beautiful. And I think that's why it matters to to listen to children on Star Wars too, uh, and see what they think first and foremost.
2: So when people go pick up your book and they read it, what are some of the biggest points you want them, if they take away nothing else from the book, not to give everything away because we want them to go get the book, but what are some of the biggest points you want them to take away having finished reading reading it?
1: Well, I think the the one thing that I, I talked about a little bit earlier in our conversation was the idea of the shadow. Uh, the shadow self, the dark passenger. This is described by psychologist Carl Jung as the shadow. It is the thing that is dormant within inside all of us that we either suppress or we, we, we indulge. And there is sort of an inaccurate way that we often tend to think about the shadow, which is that it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that you like swing between one and the other. But the way that Carl Jung would talk about the shadow was that it was a thing that needed to be nurtured and fed so that you controlled it, so that you had the ability to control that darkness inside of you before it began to control you. In Star Wars, and this is part of the chapter on redemption, and I think it is the single most important thing that exists in Star Wars. The Jedi embraced a version of a light side religion which was all about suppression. You know, suppression of love, suppression of relationship, attachment. Uh, Attachment is dangerous, but they took it to such an extent that Jedi didn't have a healthy connection to their emotional bandwidth. They didn't have an ability to manage all of their feelings in, in a healthy way. And then when you get someone like Anakin who doesn't know how to feed his shadow properly, but instead only suppresses, um, it, it blows up and it goes completely wrong. What we see happen in Star Wars with Force ghosts, the people who become one with the Force, is not Jedi who were perfect. It's not Jedi who had clean souls. It's This is an inaccurate way that fans often talk about Anakin appearing at Return of the Jedi. It was not that his slate was clean. It was that Anakin like every other person who became one with the Force, knew himself to the fullest extent. And that requires mastery of your darkness. This is what Yoda discovers in The Clone Wars, the final season and final couple of episodes about how to become one with the Force. Yoda recognizes you not. (laughs)
2: <laughs> See
1: not what is inside you, dear. I choose not to give you power, and yet you spend your days in the decadence of war. And with that, I grow inside you. Know your true self. Face me now, or I will devour you. He had to duel his shadow self um, in, a, in a sort of spiritual trial. And that's how he learned the trick. Nobody had done that except Anakin. And then they were able to share that amongst themselves and help one another learn how to become one with the Force.
2: Part of me, you are. Yes. But power over me, you have not. Through patience and training, it is I who control you.
1: I have a great amount of concern with our society not having a healthy connection to our shadow selves. It's making us hyper judgmental. It's making us sort of like mob mentality and going after people who transgress. It's just not healthy. And the quicker that we relearn our own darkness and be able to recognize it in others and then forgive them for that because we deal with it too, we'll be back to a better place. And it's it's one of my favorite chapters of the book. Because it was something I didn't learn about Star Wars until I researched it was how do force ghosts appear and why. And I was like, holy shit, that's the that's the solution to our redemption problem in society. Um, it was it was a cool revelation. So it's a, I appreciate the question.
0: Awesome. It's uh, you know what Yoda says. Uh, you have to unlearn what you have learned. And, you know, I mean, Star Wars has a lot of little quips like that, you know, a lot of little uh, lines that really, you know, we take them to heart, or at least we should, right? (laughs)
1: Sometimes it would be, it would be well advised.
0: I just want to say that hubris is a funny word to me, by the way,
1: (laughs) It is a funny word, isn't it? (laughs) You had to.
0: Stephen, thank you so much for, for this discussion. It was wonderful. We are at about an hour mark. And before we leave, uh, we want to, um, if you can indulge us, uh, we want to ask you uh, a couple of questions um, that are you know, easy questions, but a uh, little, little scare of trivia in a little segment we like to call, Brad, you know what the segment's called, right? <laughs> dun, 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 dun,
2: dun. Thank you for that, but uh, let's uh, line up for a little Sentry mode. This is century mode.
0: <laughs> All right, and it's and it's Beautiful. usually it's it's usually not. You know, we don't have our friend Trevor Beast to give us the hard hitting, solid you know, WTF kind of jeopardy questions. Yeah. These are, these are easy. These are what they call softball questions, but um, <laughs> I want to ask you them either way because they're a lot of fun. <laughs> Question number one, what occupation would you have in star Wars and why?
1: Oh man, I should be ready for questions like this. Uh, and I'm <laughs> not, but Don't worry, I'm never, am under yeah, I know I, I I think about this stuff all the time, and then the moment of truth comes, and then I, I'm not ready. Um, you know, I'm gonna go with um, I'm gonna go with cloak maker and uh, designer for the Jedi. Uh, I think whoever is in charge of making their garments and outfitting every single new Jedi, that's a really, really cool role to have. And there is nothing I love more than a good cloak. Uh, so I think, it, I think it would be really cool to be in the, uh, the hemming department and fashion department at the Jedi temple.
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Great answer. Great answer. <laughs>
2: hey, I, why does he, get, I get like, what, what model blaster did. Jim <laughs> I know. Had,
1: did no, I'm going to be a knitter, inter-galactic <laughs> knitter. Question number two.
0: Me um, me. Ewoks or porgs? Porgs. Oh. Cut oh. them off. Cut them off. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do love those porgs. Get
2: them off. He's They're cute. but <laughs> You know
0: what? With, with a nice barbecue, with a nice barbecue sauce, I guess they are pretty good. Yeah, man. That's
1: where it's at. They it look
2: pretty juicy, though. Ain't gonna Ain't gonna lie. <laughs> oh, God, I ain't gonna go lie. All
1: right. Uh, question number three: Sith or Jedi? You know, in my teen years, I was I was <laughs> team Sith uh, and I was uh, you know, just total goth boy and I loved them. Uh, but you know what? I've really grown into the Jedi and Qui-Gon Jinn, my green lightsaber. Uh, so I'm going to go I'm going to go with the Jedi.
0: Awesome. We love Qui-Gon Jinn
2: you you grew out of it we grew into it
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know the uh i i am becoming incredibly supportive of of qui-gon jinn and count dooku as like these republic skeptics Uh. um like the politics of, of count dooku like he went too far but in general like these are great examples of like jedi who understood that they weren't supposed to be interfering with republic affairs Uh, And so maybe there's a way you can still be an awesome based Jedi. (laughs) Uh,
0: Question number four, what would your episode 10 be called? And what would the plot be? Oh God. (laughs)
1: Um, so, (laughs) uh, uh, it would be called, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) The woes of Kylo Ren, uh, and it would—it would be—it would, be, would be Kylo Ren in the afterlife, meeting the Guardians of the Will's, and going through the trials to become one with the Force, uh, because he disappeared at the end of Rise of Skywalker, and he should, by all intents and purposes reincarnate as as being one of the force but he didn't and so it kind of leads me to wonder why because i think he sort of met that metric of knowing his shadow and conquering it in the end um so yeah i'll, I'll do a, an afterlife movie for kylo ren nice. shirtless
2: shirtless filming.
1: Shirt, shirtless yeah the woes of kylo ren <laughs>
0: that is awesome
2: this is Sentry mode
0: well, Steven, thank you very much again. Like I said, we had uh, such a great time
1: talking to you. And oh, uh, when does your book come out? Oh, my gosh. In like 10 days. comes out on November 9th. So, yeah, you know, like that's like something like two weeks. So November awesome. 9th, uh, I did tape the audiobook myself. So if you go oh, to Amazon, nice. I narrated the Audible. It's got music uh, in it on the front and back, like chapter transitions. It's beautiful as well as a Hidden Beltway Banthas podcast that is exclusive to the Audible version of the book. Uh, I interviewed a really awesome political pollster on why our political divide meshes with Star Wars The Last Jedi opinions. So it's it's a 30 minute discussion, really going in depth on the social science of what's tearing the country apart and then why it seems to work perfectly with the divide over the last jedi so if you you should get both honestly you should get the hard copy and the audible because they're they're both different experiences Mm uh but that is november 9th and i would so appreciate it like if everyone would go pre-order right now uh hop on over to amazon and barnes and nobles and grab a copy um I'm not saying the numbers are low, but people take forever to yeah. pull the trigger on buying. And I really want to get those numbers up and get on a bestseller list so the Force can fix the world. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. So, We're on a mission. We'll do it now. <laughs> I'm Stephen Kent, the author of How the Force Can Fix the World Lessons on Life, Liberty, and Happiness from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. And you're listening to Scarab Scuttlebutt Podcast.